What's going on, everybody? It is Jason Jaybird Goldstein here for another episode of The Bird's Eye View. We have week two NFL football to talk about today. Unlike last week when I was getting back from vacation and at the Giants game, I was able to sit down, uh, really not even sit down, lay in bed, watch all these red zone games. You know, no Giants on at all because if you listen to the last episode or just know what's going on in the NFL, well, they pissed me off on Thursday night, uh, so I didn't have anything to distract me from watching Red Zone, and I mean, yeah, it was a, it, it was an alright Red Zone slate. The one o'clock slate was definitely, definitely kind of slow. I mean, none of those games really came down to the wire, had thrilling endings. Uh, the four o'clock slate was the opposite of that, and we had a great Sunday night game. So I'm recording this now. It's currently six o'clock on Monday. Uh, Yankees haven't started yet. I'm going to talk a little bit about them as well and if their season's over. I'm recording right now before the Monday night game, but you'll get my Monday night uh, recap at the at the way end of the episode. Uh, let's get started, though. Let's hop into week one. First game, the Bengals and the Bears. <coughs> and this was the Andy Dalton revenge game until it was not the Andy Dalton revenge game. He gets hurt, and the Justin Fields era begins. Now, look, I'm never one to root for injury. Never. But I am happy to see Justin Fields finally in. Uh, although, you know, he wasn't anything special. I know Fields flashed a lot in the preseason, had gotten great reviews throughout training camp. But in his first game, he was just 6 of 13. Uh, he only had an INT. He had a fumble, although he did pick up his fumble right again. Uh, you know, he wasn't really sharp at all fields. But, hey, this was his first NFL game. Wasn't really expecting to get in. And still held on to lead the Bears to victory in this game. So, yeah, Justin Fields, welcome to the NFL. I'm thrilled to see you. Um, this is, You know what? This is like, yeah, he wasn't great. But regardless, the Bears are not a great team. Yeah, they beat the Bengals. The Bengals aren't a great team either. But Big Cat was saying this on part of my take that they, you know, putting in Justin Fields, get him that experience, get the rookie and see what you have of him, see what potential he has. You don't want to sit him for most of the season, put him in the final five, six games when you're already out of it. I don't get a real good evaluation of him. Uh, so, yeah, in my opinion, Bears, keep Fields in. Uh, <coughs> and this was sort of uh, the opposite of Joe Burrow we saw from week one. And also credit to that Bears defense. They're really the ones who led them the victory in this game. They had a tough time last week stopping Matthew Stafford and that Sean McVay offense. But against Zach Taylor, who was considered the Sean McVay prodigy, they played a lot better. Sacking Joe Burrow four times and three interceptions. And this is what you expected to see from Joe Burrow, at least to begin the season. Him coming off that torn ACL, I expected him to have a bit of a rusty start, especially with that porous offensive line. Now, the offensive line held up just enough last week, created good enough running lanes for Joe Mixon, allowed for Joe Burrow to make some plays. But that was not the case here, as, again, we saw them struggle with the four sacks. Burrow was consistently getting pressured. You know, a lot of those picks he threw were under pressure. And Joe Mixon uh, never really got anything going the way he did last week. The Bengals' offense really just was stifled and couldn't do much outside. The one big Jamar Chase play, and Jamar Chase continues to prove, okay, yeah, he's ready for the NFL. <coughs> I know he had the, had the dropping issues, but... Not in the first two weeks. And watching him and Burrow play, once again, I talk about it a lot, but 
I love watching the two of those guys together reunited. And definitely a great sign for the Bears defense. Uh, they were, the defense has really carried this team the last three years. 2018 and 2020, not, they don't make the playoffs if not for that defense. 2019, if it's not for that defense, they're probably one of the worst teams in the NFL. And we saw more of that. Khalil Mack was great. Uh, the secondary, Jalen Johnson, Tabshawn Gibson, uh, Eddie Jackson. So the defense played great as a whole, and that's what we expect to see. Uh, you know, it's nothing big for the Bears. It's a win versus a bad Bengals team. Uh, Dalton, though, was pretty efficient until his injury, but this was more of the Matt Nagy not really opening up the playbook, calling conservative stuff that similar to what Jason Garrett does. Uh, both teams are now they, they sit at one and one. Uh, not no teams really. Neither of these teams are really going to make a difference. Uh, Burrow, it, we'll see how Burrow does on the rest of the year. Obviously, that line is still an issue. Uh, Andy Dalton, if he's clear to play next week, is it going to be him or Fields? You know, Fields didn't do enough this game to make you say, "All right, let's put Fields in over Andy Dalton if Andy Dalton can play." But at the same time, you know, now that he got in, do you really want to take him out? Uh, I hope it's the Fields era, though. Uh, but we'll see. Hopefully, for his sake, I like Andy Dalton. Hope he's okay. We'll see how long he's out for. Speaking of quarterback injuries, as we move on to the next game, Browns-Texans, I thought Baker Mayfield was done for. Had a really hard hit on the shoulder. I thought that was like a broken collarbone or something. Really slow to get up. And I'm thinking, wow, my friends who are Browns fans are at the game. They're texting me. They're freaking out. And I'm like, okay, guys, well, at least you still have arguably the NFL's best backup in case Keenum in this game. But I was wrong. That Baker Mayfield was not going to sit out, and he came back. Uh, they were probably going to need him, although if they looked like they were probably going to need him because Tyrod Taylor came in Cleveland, revenge game for Tyrod, and he had an incredible start, 10 of 11, Throwing a touchdown, running for a touchdown. The Texans eventually took a 14-7 lead at the ha- in the second quarter. Uh, Baker Mayfield, though, he comes back. No fear. He runs for a touchdown. And, you know, a quarterback, when they get hit in the shoulder, they might be acting a little different. They might be uh, trying to stay in the pocket or scrambling away from defenders more, throwing the ball away more so they don't get hit. But not Baker. Ran into the end zone, was not afraid to go down, lower his shoulder, and get hit by the defender. Uh, and then later on, you know, the shoulder clearly wasn't affecting him as he dropped a dime in there for a 21-14 lead. And the Browns, they were in control of this game. From there, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb combined for 146 yards on the ground. And, you know, even though with the shoulder, Baker, he completed 19-21 passes, just two incompletions with the injury, continues to play really good, really efficient football in this Kevin Stefanski offense. The running game continues to be great. And even without Odo Beckham, the Browns' offense is still continuing the role. It'll be interesting to see how they bring Odo Beckham back into this mix when he eventually is cleared to play. And we, when we thought, Bake, we all thought, okay, Baker might be out and Tyrod Taylor could lead the Texans to victory. But no, Tyrod Taylor, he comes out because he gets hurt. And then in comes the rookie, Davis Mills. And he struggled quite a lot. Uh, not being able to provide the spark that Tyrod was able to. The defense, they made big adjustments uh, on the Browns' side, I guess, because it was a, a new quarterback. And it was not pretty at times, but the Browns, they ended up winning their first game of the season. Uh, we don't know how long Tyrod Taylor's out for once again. I haven't heard anything about how long these guys are out for. 
you know, there's no indication it's season ending. There's no indication it's not. But let's say it was season ending, they go with Davis Mills. Davis Mills is like the quarterback who is not going to win a single start the rest of the season. Oh, boy, he looked absolutely horrible. And the Texans also showed, well, yeah, they're a bad football team with a bad coach. Third and 15. The Texans gained 13 yards and instead of bring up a fourth and two. But there was an offsides on the Browns. The Texans choose to decline it. And, you know, that's my opinion, that's not a bad call to decline it. You decline that penalty, you go for it on fourth and two. You're at your own 48-yard line, and that's typically a range where teams tend to go for it. But, no, they choose to punt it instead. Like, what? Okay, okay, you know, you, you, you don't want to go for it on fourth and two, fine. Accept the penalty, redo third down, and get a chance to pick up that first down. I mean, just unbelievably stupid decision-making by David Coley. And this is, you know, I laughed when the Texans hired him, and I'm laughing at his decision-making in-game. Yeah, David Coley won his first game as a coach, but that was against Urban Meyer. Nothing too impressive. He showed he's a bad coach. And the Texans are just not a good football team. Realistically, even if Tyrod Taylor was still the quarterback, I don't think the Texans even come close to beating the Browns this game. Uh, Rams, Colts. This was probably the best game of that 1 o'clock window. Uh, again, though, it was really not the best slate. Uh, you know, I was a schmuck. I bet the under in this game uh, clearly didn't hit. And, you know, I thought it was going too early on. The Rams defense... A lot of stops. The Colts not really getting anything when they're driving. Uh, the offense was somewhat in control, although the offense was never really able to finish uh, being held at field goal. And just not putting up a lot of points. So, okay, they're up, but they're, they're sort of hanging, the, letting the Colts hang around. But it didn't look like the Colts would really come back. I mean, Carson Wentz was looking terrible. The O-line was looking terrible. Jonathan Taylor was getting nothing going. And Colts, okay, here we go. Zach Pascal gets a touchdown and a two-point conversion. It goes from 17-6, 17-14. Still, this feels like a game. You just know the Rams are going to come back and win. But a special teams gaffe, a bad snap from the Rams punter, bounces off one of their bounces off one of the guys who was lined up in front of the punter. Colts recover for a touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 24-21. The Rams, though, march right back down the field in a hurry. They got touchdowns 24-21. The Colts, Rodrigo Blankenship hit, hits a field goal to tie it before Matt Gay. Hits the go-ahead with 2.23 left. And the Colts, even though there was 2.23 left, this team never stood a chance at coming back in this game. You had Jacob Eason and really his first significant NFL action going up against the Rams defense. And that Rams defense just consumed him alive. He throws that pick to Jalen Ramsey. And this Colts offense, man, like, they're struggling. I thought Wentz was going to come back in the Frank Reich system and be a little bit more like the guy he was in 17, 18, 19. Maybe not that MVP Carson Wentz, but I don't think he would be the guy he was in 2020. And he continues to look that way. Looks like he's completely broken after last season. He got sacked three times for the second consecutive game. He didn't really do anything to move the ball for this Colts offense, and it's amazing. I don't know what the hell has happened to Carson Wentz. And this Colts team, they had playoff aspirations coming into this season after last year's playoff appearance with Phillip Rivers. Well, with Carson Wentz looking the way he is and now not even being healthy, the Colts are looking at potentially staring a long season in the face. And this is a team. They should have four free wins in the Jaguars and the Texans, but right now they do not look good. I mean, Jacob Eason was terrible on those two drives. He had two chances to drive down the field for a game-tying field goal, 
and yet was just not able to do it. And for the Rams, it wasn't the prettiest game from Sean McVay, but he gets the W regardless. He still is undefeated when leading at the half of an NFL game. Uh, and this team, they're 2-0. Stafford looks a lot better than Goff ever did. And there's even though Stafford wasn't as great as he was in Week 1 this game, there's a lot of plays he makes late in games, throws he makes that you just don't see Jared Goff making, and that's due to Stafford's incredible arm strength. And I know I was a bit worried about that with about their running game, but the running game looks great. Stafford continues to look good. And yeah, this team's an NFC favorite, no doubt, right alongside the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who they have next week. And the Colts, man, just, they're in trouble. Big trouble. They have a tough schedule coming up also. Could be a long year, like I said. Bills, Dolphins. An easy win for the Bills. And I talked about it on the podcast last episode. I thought Miami would compete. But Tua, he struggled early. The, the, the offensive line struggled early, allowing Tua to get sacked twice. Eventually, he goes down with injury. Quarterback stories, a big trend in week two of the season. And, uh, yeah, they had put in Jacoby Brissett. And Brissett is one of the better backups in the NFL, don't get me wrong. But he wasn't prepared to play this week. And he was going up against a uh, pretty good Buffalo defense. He got sacked four times. Overall, the Miami offensive line allowed six sacks. And the Bills' defense completely dominated this game. They couldn't establish a running game. And we knew coming into the year the offensive line was going to be an issue. But it's all you know when you have a bad offensive line and a not-so-great quarterback, that's a big recipe for disaster. You know, Brissett was decent with the Colts those few years because the Colts had a great offensive line. Brissett succeeded a bit with the Patriots because the Patriots had a great offensive line. Now you're putting Jacoby Brissett behind a weak offensive line. He's definitely going to struggle. And the defense for Miami, that was one bright spot, I guess. Uh, yeah, they gave up 35 points, but two of those touchdowns really came in garbage time. Uh, they only allowed 14 by halftime. Sort of sort of kept the offense in somewhat striking distance for most of the game. But as the game wore on, the Bills just wore the Dolphins down and were able to put this game away. But however, the Bills, like they weren't as explosive as we thought they were. Uh, Allen, he had just a 51.5% completion percentage. Uh, there was really no big explosive plays. I guess there's the one catch from Sanders and the one catch from Diggs, but neither of them went for the end zone. Uh, Singletary had the big rushing touchdown. But, you know, this was not the best offensive performance from the Bills. But still, with Buffalo, they had a down performance, and they still managed to put up 35 points. Like, that's that's damn impressive. And the defense, which, you know, I didn't think was one of the better units in the NFL, Looked that part this week. Look, Miami's offensive line sucks. Miami has a backup QB in. But that, but even with those pieces there, with Jacoby Brissett, with the weapons Miami has, they were still good enough to score on the Bills. But nope, that Bills defense pitched a shutout. That offense is going to get rolling soon. The Buffalo Bills are circling the wagons. And if this defense looks the way it did in weeks one and two, the Bills are possibly a threat to the Chiefs, especially after we've seen the Chiefs defense not look too great in weeks in the first two weeks of the season. Patriots, Bills, the other AFC East matchup, and this was the typical Bill Belichick versus a rookie quarterback game. No way around it. Zach Wilson was horrendous. He threw 19 of 33, zero touchdowns, four interceptions, and this was a week after taking six sacks. He, he had, got sacked four times today. The Jets' offensive line 
It's just a mess right now. Despite the drafting of Elijah Vera Tucker, the O-line continues to not be fixed. And the same offensive issues that plagued the Jets last season continue to plague them. Yeah, similar to how people said Donald had no help. Well, it looks like that Wilson has no help. He doesn't have this offensive line. The weapons are not producing for him. I mean, Corey Davis had just one grab the entire game. You'd think he was the sign to be the number one receiver. You'd think he would have done better than that. It's the same shit with the new coach for the Jets. And the Dol- and just not, not good. I thought with Robert Sala, the culture would change because I was really high on the Sala hiring. And I wasn't expecting the, Dol- the Jets. You know, I'm not saying, oh, it's only week two. Yeah, they're 0-2. But I expected a lot more of a fight against the Panthers and a lot more of a fight against the Patriots. And it's not like the Patriots were dominant in this game. No, Mac Jones didn't even throw a touchdown. And it's clear, you know, Mac Jones, he's good. But he's not at that superstar rookie level yet. However, he's doing what the Patriots want him to do, and that's be a game manager. The Patriots, their defense dominated that Jets offense the entire game. Damian Harris, James White, both had rushing touchdowns. The Patriots didn't need Mac Jones to be Tom Brady. They just needed Mac Jones to manage the game, at least have the offense move the ball because, yeah, Cam Newton uh, wasn't a turnover machine last year, but Cam Newton just could not move the ball, and Mac Jones, we've seen him at least continue these drives, keep these drives alive, but the Patriots, like, I still think they're good. I think Mac Jones is an excellent fit right now. I think he's going to get better as the season goes along. I like the way the Patriots are bringing him along in this game manager role. And this is just for them. The way They're playing a rookie quarterback. Bill Belichick versus a rookie quarterback. It doesn't matter who's under center. He's going to dominate every time. We just saw him do that. And it looks like Mac Jones, though, may have been the better pick than Zach Wilson. Wilson's had a brutal first two weeks. And, yeah, I know it's just two games, but brutal performances from him. Uh, yeah, the, On the scoreboard, the Patriots definitely dominated this game. But overall, when you look at the way the game was played, it was a far from a dominant victory in that sense. The 49ers and the Eagles. So the Eagles offense, they were a lot more grounded this week. And it's clear that last week's explosion was from the Eagles was just a lot more bad about about how bad the Falcons' defense was than how good the Eagles' offense is. Hurts this game was the Jalen Hurts we saw more towards the end of last last season where he went 12-23, but he made the plays with his legs because he's a fast guy. He's always going to make those plays with his legs. Other than that, though, the Eagles' offense did nothing. I mean, they had a big play of 91 yards to, like, Quintel Watkins or whatever. I, I never heard of this guy. He had a big 91-yard play. They got to the 6-yard line of San Francisco, but from there, they come away with zero points. And it wasn't that they just went three and out. No. They had first down, second down, a pass interference. They don't at so the, the one-yard line. They don't get it on first down. They don't get it second down. They don't get it third down. Fourth down, they attempt to run the Philly special, and they don't get it. Just a really, really bad offensive sequence. Philadelphia continued to come up uh, short in those big situations. They were just 5-12 of 12 on third down. They had a blocked field goal leaving points on the board. Anytime they sort of drove the ball in the San Francisco territory, the drive went backwards and it resulted in them punting in this game. It's the Eagles more we expected to see during this season. And yeah, the Niners, their defense looked great. This was that defense that we saw last year under Robert Sala. Defense that we saw two years ago under Robert Sala. Not the defense that allowed uh, Matt Stafford, <coughs> I mean, that allowed Jared Goff to throw for a ton of yards and three touchdowns, albeit 
most of that <coughs> coming in garbage time. Uh, but the offense, they didn't really get going. They had another running back injury as Trey Sermon finally got his first NFL carry and proceeded to get hurt and fumbled, although that fumble was eventually overturned. Jimmy G did that Mac Jones game manager thing. He was just he was 22 or 30. He had a touchdown, and he ran for a touchdown as well on a really a drive that iced this game. It was a 16-play, 9-minute drive that totaled 92 yards. The Niners went up 14-3 from there. Although the Eagles got a touchdown and a two-point conversion to make it a three-point game, uh, that drive really seemed to put the Niners in the driver's seat and didn't give the Eagles enough time to come back and win this game. And that was that that, that Kyle Shanahan offense that we've come to really know and see from him. Although, with the Niners, now Sermon, Mostert, they still have the injury issues, which are concerning. Now, Jimmy G, he's been fine in these two games. You know, he's, I don't know if he's going to be, you know, how long he's going to be starting. If he just keeps up this average play, are they eventually going to put Trey Lance in when they think Trey Lance is ready? Or are they plan to do a Alex Smith-Mahomes type situation with Jimmy G? Uh, but look, they still have a great offensive line. They still have a really good defense. Jimmy G will be winning games for this team, whether or not he's playing great or whether or not he's being a game manager. Uh, this was probably the biggest shock of the day. And that was the Pittsburgh Steelers losing to the Las Vegas Raiders. And you should call them the Pittsburgh Steelers because they were stealing my money. I mean, I thought the Steelers were easily going to win this game, but nope. The Raiders were in control this game from start to finish, absolutely dominating this game. Now, I was very, very not high on the Raiders coming to this season. I said I don't believe in John Gruden. I said I didn't like this roster. But the Raiders have really looked good. They've beaten two playoff teams from last season in weeks one and two. Really good teams in the Ravens and Steelers, including going into Pittsburgh and winning this. Derek Carr has looked fantastic through two weeks. He had almost 400 yards in this game, uh, two touchdowns. Darren Wallers looked good. Henry Ruggs has made big plays in each of the last two games. And even with Josh Jacobs out, the Raiders looked really good in this game. Uh, I'm just I'm shocked to see them win. With Pittsburgh, we've seen this with them. They're Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, they look good some games. Like they just went into Buffalo, beat one of the NFL's top offenses from last season, and then followed up at home losing to Derek Carr. It's just crazy. But these Raiders, man, they they don't they sort of I feel like this was gonna be a Vegas loss because they look, they looked good. They stopped the Steelers on fourth down. They got the turnovers. But they couldn't capitalize. The Steelers' defense got some stops, turned those into field goals, and sort of hung around. But the Steelers' defense really took a major hit when T.J. Watt, you know, just got that extension to be the highest-paid defender in NFL history. He got injured, and now that defense lost its top edge rusher, which was clearly a big loss for this team. Uh, and then the Raiders. Anytime the Steelers scored, they had an answer for their drive. Okay, it's 7-6. Raiders kick a field goal. It's 9-7 at the half. And before the end of the third quarter, a dime from Derek Carr makes this a 16-7 game. But Pittsburgh, they're not going away. Big Ben throws a good pass to Najee Harris, who ran really hard this game, including a dirty stiff arm. And that's one of the nastier stiff arms you'll see. He destroys the defense, and it's 16-14. Raiders on top. Steelers down two. Okay, here we go. These are the Steelers we know. They're going to come back, and they're going to beat the Raiders. But nope, the, Steel, the Raiders exposed that Steelers defense that continue to struggle without T.J. Watt. And you can tell, similar to how the t- defense lost a step without Devin Bush last year and without Bud Dupree, now losing T.J. Watt this 
for potentially a while. Really hurts this defense. The Steelers, a big, huge touchdown from a Henry Ruggs. There he goes. That first rounder from last year, finally showing this is why we drafted him in the first round. Gets that touchdown. Raiders go 23-14. Hold on to the victory. And it's a second straight win for the Raiders. A continuously strong start from Derek Carr. And this is without a running game. Josh Jacobs is out. Kenyon Drake and Peyton Barber really never got going. But the Raiders won again. And it wasn't even the Derek Carr-Darren Waller show. No, other guys were stepping up as well. And the Raiders, like, was I wrong about them? I still don't believe in them. Yet, uh, I'm, I'm wrong about them being a dumpster fire. I think this team could now win win like eight or nine games. But we've seen this with these Gruden teams before. Last year, they were 6-3 and three before falling to 7-9 and nine to end the year. I'm not going to buy into this, Jay Gruden, this John Gruden first-half hype. I believe it happened two seasons ago to, uh, as well. I didn't see John Gruden complete a whole season for me to really say, okay, I was wrong about him. As for the Steelers, they're in trouble. Deontay Johnson left at the end of the game, limped off with what appeared to be a serious knee injury. It appeared that at the beginning of the season, Deontay Johnson had really taken over the role as Ben's number one target over Charles Claypool or Chase Claypool, excuse me, and Juju Smith. Uh, so now, now I'm worried about them. Those are two key guys out. Uh, the offense, which already isn't good, can't afford to be losing their top wide receiver, and the defense, losing their top edge rusher is really, really going to hurt this team. Uh, moving on now, we're going to talk Saints-Panthers. And the Saints are the Saints were another Jekyll and Hyde team like the Steelers. I mean, last week you have Jameis Winston come out, throw five touchdowns against the Packers, absolutely dominating them. And then this week was a lot like that 2019 Jameis. He went just 11-22. He threw two interceptions, and all he had was that rushing touchdown. Jameis looked really poor. Now people could be like, oh, okay, this is the Jameis we know. Who is Jameis Winston? Is, this, is he always going to be this inconsistent? In my opinion, I think that not having their eight assistant coaches due to COVID really impacted Jameis Winston. Now, that's no excuse. No excuse for him to play that poorly. But in my opinion, we're not going to see this Jameis Winston have these games where he barely throws 50%, where he barely completes 50% of his passes, where he throws multiple interceptions uh, without a touchdown once these offensive coaches are back. But that was definitely concerning for the Saints, who thought that they had the guy in Jameis after a strong preseason in week one. But now, all of a sudden, there was just an easy, easy step back for Jameis Winston in terms of saying he's back. And I'm a Jameis guy. I've talked about it. I've been very high on Jameis on this podcast. I said I think he was going to lead the Saints to the postseason. And look, it's not just that the Saints offensive coaches were out, but this Panthers defense is legit. I wasn't high on that defense coming in. I thought it had a lot of holes, particularly in linebacker in the secondary. But there were two weeks. This Panthers defense looks fantastic. Here they are. They're 2-0. The defense had a second straight really strong week. Sam Darnold, for the second week in a row, was really efficient. And this was against a banged-up Saints defense, missing Marcus Davenport, missing Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, he's looked very comfortable in this Panthers offense with weapons around him, with a solid offensive line around him, and with Christian McCaffrey. Now, we always talk about running backs. They're the most replaceable position in the NFL. Oh, it's kind of dumb to pay them. McCaffrey's worth every penny of that. You saw the way this offense struggled last year without Christian McCaffrey at times. He is a running back in this NFL who is not replaceable just because of everything he does. He makes this team that much better, and he's going to be a candidate for that offensive player of the year this year. They're good, though. They're really good, the Panthers, I think. The defense looks better. 
Sam Donald's thriving in the Matt Rule system. The offensive line's better. The running game is strong. I'm pretty high on them for the rest of the season. Uh, I really am. And now with these Saints, you know, I wasn't too worried about them just because Drew Brees retired. But what I am worried about is these injuries. Lattimore and Davenport are huge losses, as is Demario Davis. Losses across the line, the linebacking core, and the secondary. And again, I don't think James is going to revert back to that turnover-prone self. But he's without, he was without one of his top offensive linemen, Eric McCoy. He still doesn't have many great receivers. I think the Saints, you know, this stretch could be a bit of a long, difficult stretch for the Saints, at least to begin the season. They go to New England next week with, against that defense. The last game from that 1 o'clock window, Jaguars-Broncos and, like, ugh. Sleeper, the Jaguars are now 0-2. They look terrible. Trevor Lawrence again struggled. He completed just 42% of his passes and two interceptions. The Jaguars are a mess. Now, people can't be jumping on Trevor Lawrence right now. That Jaguars roster is really horrible, and he just he has to do a lot. They're consistently coming from behind, and he's having to make a lot of throws, and that's what's leading to these turnovers. But also, I don't like the Jaguars' offensive system. Now, obviously, I love Urban Meyer from Ohio State, but I was—I kept saying I was not high on Urban Meyer as an NFL coach. I don't think his system, I don't think his coaching style is right for the NFL. And I think that system is a big reason why we're seeing Trevor Lawrence struggle. We've seen that Urban era get off to an ugly start where they got blown out by the Texans. The offense couldn't do anything in Week 2 against the Broncos. Like, it's... It's ugly. I think the Jaguars are going to continue to struggle for the rest of the season. Now, I think Trevor's not going to be as bad as he's been the first two weeks, but I don't think that Trevor is going to have a rookie season that makes you go, wow, as I thought initially he was going to do. But it's just it's not been fun for Jaguars fans these last two years. I guess last year was sort of fun because they got Trevor Lawrence and they were happy about that. But good for these Broncos, too. Look, they beat the Giants and the Jaguars in Weeks 1 and 2. Nothing special. But next week they have the Jets. That's a chance to jump off to a 3-0 start. Really big momentum. And Teddy Bridgewater has looked good. He's made a lot of tough throws. You know, He's been keeping plays alive with his feet. He's, he's Back in his Pat Schirmer system, he's looked a lot more comfortable. Uh, the running duo of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams have done fine for them. Neither of them is particularly making a big difference in the game, but both of them are still looking j just fine. Uh, the defense, that Vic Fangio defense he knew was always going to be a problem, has looked great. I want to see how they do against an offense that's not called by Jason Garrett or Urban Meyer because that will be a true test, especially with Bradley Chubb being in and out with some injuries here and there. But they're, they're sneaky good. They have an easy schedule, and this AFC... <laughs> It's pretty talented. I mean, the AFC West is loaded. The AFC North is loaded. The AFC East has some good teams. It was it, the Broncos. We'll, we'll see with them because they have a chance to get off to a really, really hot start here. And then we're going to move on now and talk the 4 o'clock games. And the 4 o'clock games were a lot better, including Vikings-Cardinals. And I know it's going to be a great game when I'm listening to NFL Red Zone and they show that big first touchdown by the Vikings and I hear a familiar voice yelling, touchdown Vikings. And I am like, oh my God, is that Gus Johnson announcing this game? That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, we were treated 
to a show with Gus Johnson back announcing NFL games, and I was so happy to hear him back announcing the NFL. And once I heard his voice, yeah, I knew this Cardinals-Vikings game was going to be a great game, and a great game it was. Probably the best game of the day, not including Sunday night's game, of course, and it was fun. Really fun to watch. The Vikings get off to an incredibly hot start. They're up 20-7. to Kirk Cousins looks great. And the Vikings look like they're in control. But Kyler Murray and Rondale Moore, they make some plays as the Vikings chose not to play defense. The rookie Rondale Moore, a huge touchdown where there was nobody even close to him. Kyler Murray, he runs for a touchdown. And later on, this game is 24-23 at the half, including Matt Prater drilling a 62-yard field goal right before the half. And it's they give the Cardinals that lead. Coming out, first play of the first drive of the second half, Kyler Murray. He throws a pick six, and the Vikings take the lead 30-24. to But he did not let that phase him. Kyler drives down the field, hits A.J. Green for a touchdown. This game is now 31-30. to The Vikings later on, they kick a field goal, and it's 33-31. to The Cardinals are driving. It's fourth down. Later on, it's fourth down. Kyler Murray. Under pressure, the, the zero blitz has to get off a ball with a ton of pressure in his face and delivers a dime, a perfect pass. And the Cardinals end up kicking the field goal to take that 34-33 lead. But what an amazing, amazing kick. For, what an amazing kick, or not kick, throw from Kyler Murray under pressure. Just a dime. It was one of the most beautiful throws we saw all Sunday afternoon. However, their field goal left the Vikings with a ton of time only to drive down the field, get in the field goal range, and miss the field goal. The same kicker who had hit three field goals or four field goals previously in this game. The same kicker who kicked the field goal to hit the get the game tying field goal to send last week's game to overtime. He missed this one. It was same old Vikings who always cannot seem to find a kicker, which is hard them under this Mike Zimmer era. And Kirk Cousins, man, dominant first half, tosses three touchdowns. But after that, he didn't do enough plays to close this game out, building on that 20-7 lead, and didn't do anything in the second half to keep the, car, to keep the Vikings in this game. Dalvin Cook also got hurt in the second half, and you saw J.J. Watt immediately ran over to him, checking on him, felt horrible that he injured him. Uh, the big plays, though, for the Vikings in the second half weren't there. None, none of the Je- Jefferson big plays. None of the big runs after Cook got hurt. None of, uh, I, don't, I don't even know the guy who got that first touchdown. I forget who it was. Uh, and now for them, they're in trouble. You know, they started 0-2. They have the Browns at home in two weeks. And next week, they go to Seattle. We know they've historically struggled in Seattle, especially with Kirk Cousins as the quarterback there. They're staring at potential 0-4 start in the face. Meanwhile, the Cardinals, this is the Cliff Kingsbury offense we have been wanting to see. 400 yards from Kyler Murray, who much like last year looks like an MVP candidate. Three touchdowns from him, a rushing touchdown last week after having five totals. And you know what? Last week, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk did it all, making the big plays. Today, the rookie Rondale Moore was making big plays. Max Williams, who had just eight catches last year, had seven catches, catching all seven of his targets today. A.J. Green called a touchdown. This team 
is loaded on offense. Talent everywhere. Kyler can just throw to any of those guys. You know, the running game, it's not great, but Edmonds and James Conner are far from a bad running back duo. And I like this Cardinals offense a lot. It's fun to watch. Kingsbury has these boys rolling. This is a legit team. I mean, we might see this NFC West send all four teams to the playoffs, if I'm being honest. And I'm talking about that NFC West. Let's talk about how that fourth team did, the Seattle Seahawks, who sort of did the opposite of the Arizona Cardinals. They could have easily be up two. They easily could have been two and zero. They had a 21 point second quarter, helped them build a, build a 24 to nine lead at the half. But in the second half, they put up just six points, and it was all Derrick Henry. I mean, usually when you're down by 15 at the half, you have to pass the ball to get back in the game. But now when you're the Tennessee Titans and you have Derrick Henry, nope. Instead, they just went to Derrick Henry in the second half even more. He had three touchdowns. He continued to run, wearing down that Seahawks defense. And they used running the football, hardcore running, as their way of coming back. Something that is very rarely seen in today's NFL. An extraordinarily com- extraordinary comeback from these Tennessee Titans. Going to that hostile territory in Seattle and winning that game. And hey, I, I said it last week. I had the Titans over the Seahawks as one of my big upset picks. I just love the way that Titans team matched up against Seattle. And I knew that the running game of Derrick Henry would be able to wear that Seahawks defense down. Uh, and it wasn't just the Derrick Henry. The defense stepped up in the second half, too. Uh, there was the one big play, the Freddie Swain touchdown, where he got wide open. Nobody played defense on him. But other than that, the Seattle offense didn't get much going. Chris Carson, who had two touchdowns in that second quarter, didn't really get anything going. They sacked Russell Wilson three times, and the and the Tennessee Titans win this game. They needed this game. They did, they wanted to avoid falling to 0-2, much like the Colts and the Jaguars did. And now here they are. They're 1-1. Tannehill looked a lot better in that second half. Once Henry got going, a lot of things opened up for Julio Jones. This isn't me was going to continue for the Titans all season long. Uh, the Seahawks, I mean, the NFC West is loaded. They lose a heartbreaker. They're still a great team. They still have Russell Westbrook and R- Russell Wilson. And they'll be funny for these playoffs all season long. The Falcons and the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks right now just look unstoppable. Nine straight games, going, including last year's postseason where they had 30 points. And, yeah, the defense has struggled at times this year, uh, especially in times at this game. But that's because they're already without Sean Murphy bunting, and then Carlton Davis got hurt in this game. Still, they had the, they made three picks off Matt Ryan in the third in the fourth quarter. One of those being a pick six, or two of those being a pick six on back-to-back drives. The Bucks defense made the plays when it matters. When they're healthy, they'll be fine. And for Brady, I mean the dude's 44 years old, just throws five touchdowns. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronk, all just unreal weapons. I mean the running backs haven't gotten going. A.B. didn't have a good game, and they're just, the Bucks still cruise the victory. I mean, they're just loaded, man. Uh, they're so good. And the two injuries in the secondary hurt this team, but they're rolling right now. And the next game is against those Rams, who are the last teams to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Cowboys Chargers. We expected a shootout in this game, but it was the defenses, and it was just a boring game to watch. I mean, the Chargers are mistake-prone. Herbert had two picks. One of them being at the at the Dallas goal line, and that ends up leading that Cowboys field goal. And here we go. The Chargers again get to the goal line and score a touchdown. But it's an illegal shift. Wipes out the touchdown. And instead of going up 21-17, they have to settle for a field goal. It's 17-17. Dallas gets plenty of time to kick that game-winning field goal. And it was the same old Chargers. 
They left a lot of points on the board. You know, they get all the way they get all the way down and they throw that pick. Could be a touchdown. All of a sudden, you're staring at a 21 to 14 lead instead of uh, a 14-14 tie later on a 17 to 14 deficit. They and if they don't throw and if they don't have that illegal shift, it's 21-17. Dallas needs to drive down and score a touchdown, which they haven't been able to do since the first quarter. But instead, the field goal just allows them to kick a go for a game-winning field goal and not have to go all the way down the field. And so, and look, if they get a touchdown on both those drives, the Chargers easily win this game. I mean, they, they were almost high on the Chargers, but here they did. They chargered me. They chargered their fans. I thought things have changed, but it looks like it was the same old Chargers. And it's like the Giants who find a stupid way to lose these games. And, you know, Dallas now, but this win, it means those, those Giants, my team, the only NFC East team now that's winless. It was a day where Dak wasn't his best, and the defense won them this game. And this was without Randy Gregory, without Demarcus Lawrence, so maybe that defense has potential. Micah Parsons looked really good filling in for those guys at the edge. And right now, with Heineke's, with Heineke starting, Washington's defense having some questions, there are six takeaways in two games. Dallas might be the NFC, the AFC, NFC East favorite. And easily the game of the day, game on Sunday night. And it's an early candidate of the first two weeks, the game of the year, Ravens-Chiefs. The offense, they got moving early for a 14-7 lead. Uh, Lamar had some struggles, threw a pick six, uh, later on threw a pick in the end of the first quarter. But for Lamar, he didn't let the, those interceptions phase him. Both the, Every time he threw a pick, he, he scored a touchdown on a, a subsequent drive. Uh, eventually, they get a field goal, and it's 21-17 at the half, although they, get, they had a drive that lasted just 47 seconds. And now the question, can Baltimore get a stop? Kansas City scores on a big play to Byron Pringle. Lamar, he responds. An unreal jump pass, like crazy pass with the defense on him, throws it up to Hollywood Brown, and Hollywood Brown cuts into the lead, but the Ravens defense, that banged-up Ravens Zeke, couldn't stop the Chiefs as Travis Kelsey takes a wild play, running past the entire Ravens defense for a long, exciting touchdown, and it was 35-24. But Lamar comes back right where he responds. They score a touchdown. It's 35-20-30. They go for two. There was a penalty, actually, on the two-point conversion when they got it. Uh, So they moved five yards back. They still went for two and didn't get it, so they trailed 35-30. Finally, the Ravens defense gets a stop getting the Ravens the ball back. The Ravens drive down the field. They score a touchdown. They don't get the two-point conversion once again. So it's 36-35. They're up one. And they need one more stop here. The Chiefs are driving down the field. Looks like they're in field goal range. All you need to do, run the clock gun and kick a field goal. But Clyde edwards dealer fumbles the football there. Something you cannot do. An embarrassing rough play for the Chiefs. And the Ravens get the ball back. They need a first down to seal this game. And you know what? The Ravens get that first down. It was fourth and one. They, they could have put the ball back to the Chiefs. But instead, they chose, let's not give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Let's go for it on fourth down. They have not been able to stop the running game at all. Do it. Get the first down. And I love that move. And how about these Ravens? Despite all the injuries, the Baltimore Ravens finally knock off the Kansas City Chiefs, giving Lamar Jackson his first career win against Patrick Mahomes, handing Mahomes his first career loss in the month of September. And you know what? The defense, it struggled last week against Vegas. It struggled for the first three quarters against Kansas City. 
But when they needed it most, they got those stops. They picked off Patrick Mahomes, his first career interception in the month of September. And they made those plays despite being banged up. And even with the Ravens, I mean, they're without J.K. Dobbins. Mark Ingram left in free agency. Gus Edwards. That running game is still incredibly efficient. It's a good mix of veterans with Devonta Freeman and Latavius Murray and the young kid in Williams. Plus Lamar. That's still so many options they have. There's so many ways to hit you. This Ravens running game is still going to be extremely dangerous. And right now for them, they finally get off that hump against Kansas City. They avoid that 0-2 start. And the Ravens, with all these injuries, are still just as dangerous as ever. Uh... That's it, really, for talking the NFL currently. Uh, we're gonna move on, and we're gonna touch on. We're gonna we're gonna touch on Monday Night Football later on in the show at the end, because again, the Monday Night Football games haven't the Monday Night Football game hasn't started yet. Yankee game's currently going on right now, and let me talk about those Yankees. I went to Friday's game, and Garter, Gardy, Judge, Stanton, Gallo twice all go deep, and it was awesome. But from there. They get blown out twice. This, it just by the Indians. The Indians who've been no hit three times blow out the Yankees in back-to-back games. Now with the Yankees, the season's not over, and that just simply because we have nine games left against the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and the Rays. Those nine games will be what decides the season. But at this point, I really have just. I don't think this team's going to make the playoffs. They probably need to win all three of those series, and I don't see them doing this. After that 13-game winning streak, this team has gone 7-15, and including 7-9 and against teams with losing records. Now, with all that struggles, I can't expect them to go into Toronto. I can't expect this team to go into Boston and take two of three in each of those series. No. I mean, this season, I'm, I'm officially saying that I don't think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs, and this is embarrassing. You won 13 games in a row. You made all these trades at the deadline. Your, salary, your payroll is as high as it is, and you choked away that lead against all these losing teams, Yankees. I mean, that's just embarrassing. It's pathetic. The Red Sox, the Blue Jays, the Rays have all taken business against the Orioles and the losing teams. When we had these losing teams, we faltered. 7-9. and 7-9 and nine again in these... Games against losing teams since that 13-game winning streak. Losing to the losing to the Angels two out of three. Losing three if three of six to Baltimore. Uh, losing a series to the Mets. Losing a series at home to the Indians. One of baseball's worst offenses. Pathetic. This team you can't beat those teams. You don't deserve to be in the postseason. They struggle with Toronto. They struggle with Boston all year long. How can I expect them to actually win those games? How? I hate. I can't believe it that this season's. I think the season's over. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I think I don't think this team is making the postseason anymore. Just please start by sweeping the Rangers. Severino's finally back. Maybe that can spark this team, but God damn it. And college football. Ohio State struggle once again. He doesn't run. He hates to bring that run on that RPO. So whenever we're doing any option plays, the defense knows what they expect from here. And this was an embarrassing game. We were up by seven against Tulsa. Fucking Tulsa in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they won by 21 points, but that game was not a 21-point game at all. The secondary just allowed the Tulsa quarterback to throw for over 400 yards. The guys, I mean, this defense, the guys were open. There was a lack of pressure. Just an embarrassing showing, again, for the defense. Linebackers continue to struggle. And Olave, he didn't come back for this. Chris Olave did not come back to be held catchless in a game against Tulsa. It's embarrassing. I mean, if it's not for Travion Henderson, who you guys know, all I do is hype up Travion Henderson in the offseason, well, we might not even win this game. 
and I'm not saying I'm not saying you bench CJ Stroud right now, but this week you have to give Kyle McCord some first team reps in the practice. Push CJ Stroud. This is Akron we're playing. CJ Stroud has to look great against him. Tear it up. If he struggles a bit and giving McCord those first team reps didn't spark him, you had to put McCord in there. Let McCord come in against a bad Akron team and destroy them. I mean, you can't be doing this what you did against Tulsa, what you did against Minnesota, and the awful game against Oregon, against Akron. We're fit. We're 40-something point favorites. Now, I'm saying I'm afraid that this, this team probably might not cover the spread. This team lost 60-10 to 10 in Week 1. Come out there and wreck them, C.J. Stroud. Shut the doubters up. I mean, it's frustrating. Because, look, Ohio State, they if they go undefeated, in the Big Ten, there's a good chance they make the playoff with how good the Big Ten looks this year. But with the way Penn State's looked, the way that team up north has looked, uh, Michigan State, I mean, the way that whole entire Big Ten has looked, it's I don't Ohio State does not look like a team that's going to run through the Big Ten this year anymore. And it's been a good Big Ten. It's been great. I mean, you look what Penn State just did. They, they killed Auburn in a whiteout game. It was an awesome crowd. Uh, they're back after last season's major hiccup. Michigan State, they went into Miami. I mean, they went into Miami. They went into Northwestern this season, and they dominated both those games. Sparty looks to be back under Mel Tucker in year two. Another dominant win for Michigan. Let's see how they do when they get a real test, though. And even Rutgers, they look good. They're, look, they're, they haven't played anybody good, Rutgers. But what do the big boys do, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, when they play these shitty teams? They blow them out, and that's exactly what Rutgers has done. And... You know, it's not, you know, I talk about these Clemsons. A lot of these top 10 teams struggled. Clemson, they escaped against Georgia Tech, one of the ACC's worst teams, with DJ not getting any touchdowns. Notre Dame survived against Purdue. Oklahoma survived Nebraska. And right now, Oklahoma, who's supposed to easily win the Big 12, Rattler doesn't look too good. Uh, the team has just not looked good. Struggling against Tulane, struggling against Nebraska. This is not a great Oklahoma team anymore. Uh, they had the unbelievable interception, one of the best picks you'll ever see in a game. But right now, similar to Ohio State, looking like they're not going to go perfect in the Big Ten. Oklahoma looks like a team that's not going to go perfect in that Big 12. And even Bama struggled. Now, Bama, they struggled actually against a good team, and they were up 21-3 to before nearly blowing it to Florida. Uh, they, you know, they hung on. That was about their toughest matchup of the season. And for them, just showed they're not indestructible. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of top 10 teams struggling. And Ohio State, man, I'm worried about these Buckeyes. All right, that's all I have for now. Uh, I'll get into that Monday Night Football game once that game goes final. All right, we are back. Uh, you know, the Monday Night game, it's still going on, but Packers are up 35-17. This game looks over. You know, I actually took the Lions to cover. This game was pretty close in the first half. The Lions hung around there, as they tend to do with the Packers, but... Second half, Packers just took over. I mean, this was the Aaron Jones game. I mean, sure enough, I'm up 18 points going to my fantasy match tonight. I have DeAndre Swift. He is Aaron Jones. And I'm like, oh, I got this. As long as Aaron Jones doesn't have a God Mode-like game, what does Aaron Jones do? He has a God Mode-like game, of course. Four touchdowns, three of them receiving. The Lions just had no answer defensively for Aaron Jones. And this Lions defense is bad. I mean, anytime the Packers have gotten the ball, they've moved the ball downfield and downfield. You know, Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams. You know, Adams hasn't scored. But, you know, Robert Tonyan. I mean, there's been a couple third downs that Tonyan's caught. And, you know, he's not that athletic of a tight end, but he's making athletic plays, making the Lions miss, and picking up those first downs. And it just was embarrassing for the Lions. Now, Goff, he played well, but... 
this, this game all really turned around after he fumbled the ball uh, on that snap. Yeah, I know it's raining, but as Eli and Payton said, you know, come on, you're, you can't be doing that in the rain. And overall, yeah, I mean, they're 35-17 with eight minutes left. Aaron Rodgers, that's the Aaron Rodgers that we've come to know and love. 20-24, four touchdowns. That's That's the guy we know, the guy that you don't want to mess with at all. And then, yeah, that's it. So some week two takeaways. I mean, the AFC, you know, the Raiders, the Broncos, they're both good. That 2-0 ahead of the Chiefs and Chargers. I mean, obviously Chiefs are going to get be in there. Chargers, who I think are a pretty good team, are going to be better than that 1-1 record states. But we have a wild card race for that AFC, especially the Broncos. I mean, the Ravens, the Browns, the Steelers, they're all going to be funny for the AFC North all year. And whoever gets second and third is also going to be funny for that AFC wild card. And again, don't sleep on New England, and we know Buffalo's going to be amazing as the Bills have been the last couple seasons. AFC South looks like it's honestly just the Titans, man, right now. The Texans suck, the Jaguars suck, the Colts are 0-2, potentially having Jacob Easton be the quarterback long term. Not a good spot to be in for them. I mean, the NFC West, again, is loaded. The Cardinals look legit at 2-0, even even more legit than their 2-0 start last year. The Rams and the Niners both look incredible also at 2-0. Seattle's 1-1, and they have some problems, but you can't count them out of it with Russell Wilson. NFC East, you know, the Giants, they're already out of it at 0-2. They're going to suck. Everyone else is 1-1. Dallas, you know, the defense can do what we saw in Week 2. They should be the favorite. Washington was was the favorite, but doesn't have their quarterback anymore with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Although Heineke performs the way he did in Week 2, Washington, the defense gets back to last year's form, can also be funding for them. And the Eagles, to be honest, I don't think they're going to be doing anything. Like, they had the good win in Week 2, or in Week 1, but we saw who they really were in Week 2. Uh, Packers are back. Vikings are in trouble, especially with that tough schedule. Lions stink. Bears stink. Bucks are good. Falcons suck. Saints, we'll see with them once they get their coaches back and Mike Thomas back. And the Panthers are a legit sleeper. It's been a good two weeks of NFL season so far. Week three is coming up. I'm actually going to the Giants game where hopefully they can finally win. The day they retire Eli's jersey, it would be very, very nice if they can do that. And the Yankees win today. Big win over the Rangers. Uh, you know, Nestor Cortez didn't have his best stuff, but they still managed to get the win, holding on for a 4-3 to victory. And the Blue Jays lose to the Rays, so the Yankees are now just a half game back of that wild card spot. And that's about it for this episode. I want to thank everybody who supported the podcast thus far. Remember, go follow the Bird's Eye View podcast on Instagram for all my latest episode releases. Go follow Jay Bird's Eye View on Twitter for all my latest live reactions to games and takes. Thank you, everybody, and have a great rest of your day.